0: 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's there's been some things stirring around in my heart uh, along this line for for some time, and um, well, we hope we have an opportunity to to share the word with you tonight so that you will see a little bit of what we're seeing and reap the benefits thereof. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writing to the church said, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, another translation says a new creature. creation. One translation says a new species of being. I like that. If any man be in Christ, he's something brand new, something never existed before. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now we know those things have to be spiritual things because our physical body doesn't change when we get saved. There's no evidence of um, uh, of physical things changing. Now physical things will change as we walk in the word and grow in him. But, uh, but at the new birth, the only thing that really changes is your spirit, the real you, the hidden man of the heart, the man that's on the inside. So when it says all things have, old things have passed away and all things have become new, it's talking about spiritual things. And all things are of God. Now, the things he's talking about there are specifically the spiritual things that have changed. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And has given, us to, given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to pause just long enough to, to uh, look at that word reconciled and reconciliation. They're both the same words. And it literally means a mutual exchange. A mutual exchange. That means when Jesus died for us, the reconciliation that he made for us to be able to walk in, the, uh, in him. To be a part of the family of Christ, family of God. A joint heir with Jesus, and so forth. It's telling us that there was an exchange that was made. Now Romans chapter five, uh, Romans chapter four, excuse me, the last uh, verse in the chapter. I'm not sure if it's verse 28 somewhere around there. But the last verse in the chapter says that Jesus was raised for our justification. In the King James, it says for our justification, but it really means when we were justified. It's a word that denotes time. So it says Christ was raised. Again, King James 4, our justification. And that would certainly be true. The, transla- the translation would certainly be accurate because that was his purpose. But the Bible's telling us something even more. The Bible's telling us that Jesus bore the punishment of mankind's sins and all the awful things that, uh, that the Bible refers to about Jesus when he was in the lower part of the earth. He was suffering a, a price, certainly not a physical price. His physical body didn't go there. But his spirit was suffering the the pains and the anguish of everything that was required to satisfy the claims of justice because of man's sin. Well, it says that Jesus was raised when we were justified. He stayed with it until the very end. He didn't escape early. God didn't raise him early. He raised him at the point where every claim of justice was satisfied. That's why there's no condemnation to you and me and those of us that are in Christ. So again, it says all things are of God. Spiritual things are of God. Who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ? We're reconciled to God because of the exchange that Jesus made. And he's given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the good news of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is that he's already paid the price. The price is already... uh, the dead has been satisfied. Everything is complete. There's not left one thing for you or me or anybody else to do except believe. He paid the price. He suffered for our sake. And he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody that represents another person. Or In our common day language, most often is talking about representing a country. And we're ambassadors for Christ. We're representatives of him and what he did to tell others the good news of what that is. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled. Here's that word again. Be ye reconciled to God, that mutual exchange. Now he's going to tell us what the exchange was. For he, talking about God, has made him, talking about Jesus, For God has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now the mutual exchange was he became sin for us and in our place. The exchange made was that he paid the price for sin so that you could enjoy the benefits of the righteousness of God that he had here even on the earth. And has now at the right hand of the father. Folks, I want you to understand and think about it for a minute. It was a complete work. The Bible says after God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Well, if there's still work to be done, if the plan of redemption has anything else left to it to be accomplished, Jesus did us an injustice by sitting down. But rather we're to understand that the reason that he did sit down is because the claims of justice were satisfied. Everything had been paid. Every price, every debt, every little part of what man owed because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. It's been done for. It's been paid. Now, the word righteousness, uh, the Greek word translated righteousness in uh, the New Testament speaks more of purity than it does anything else. It speaks of character, of spirit, or pure spirit. But the original concept of righteousness shown through the uh, Hebrew word that's translated righteousness into the King James or into the English language means rightness. It means putting things back the way they should be. See, the Old Testament concept of righteousness was one Of things being changed back to God's original condition. Back to the original place before the fall of Adam. Now think about Adam for a minute. The Bible says that God made him an exact copy and duplicate of himself. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image. And let them have dominion over the works of our hands and over all the earth. Adam didn't lack for anything until the fall. Because the creation that God had made was perfect. We know that there won't. The Bible says there's nothing in heaven that can hurt or destroy or or bring a tear to a person's eye. Well, let me ask you this. If that's the way God made heaven, we have to assume that that's the way he wanted it to be. Because it wouldn't be any other way than what he wanted it to be, right? If he's the creator of heaven and he makes it the way that he wants it, and the Bible tells us how he made it or, or the condition of heaven, no sickness, no disease, no lack, no sin, Nothing that can hurt or harm. And when God made... The earth, he said at the end of creation, it was very good. Then we would have to understand that the same conditions of heaven were the conditions of the earth before the fall. So rightness... Jesus being made righteous for us, Jesus making the exchange of death for life, sin for righteousness, by definition must mean that the rightness that God planted, the righteousness that Jesus obtained for us, is a condition that has total victory, total authority, total dominion over sin, sickness, and disease, and lack in poverty. It has to be that way, folks. That's the way God wanted it to be. Now, the Bible also says that Jesus was an uh, an example to us. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter 2. Jesus here on the earth showed us or revealed to us the Father. But he did more than that. He revealed to us how we can live or how a person can live, how a man or a woman can live, united with God the Father. Because that's our condition now through the new birth. And so we can look at Jesus' earthly life. He didn't obtain his condition. He didn't obtain his position with God because the price or some price had been made. He was in Adam's, or pretty close to, if not exactly in Adam's original state, original condition. Adam became a human being. He became a living being by God breathing into his body the breath of life. God molded Adam's flesh into what he should look like, but he wasn't alive until God breathed in him the breath of life. Well, that's a type or a picture of the same thing that happened in the virgin birth. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and it brought something into existence in the physical realm. And Jesus, after being carried full term, was born into the earth just as any other human being was or is. The only difference was God was the one that had joined himself to a woman rather than sinful man joining with his wife. So God has restored into Jesus the original condition of man on the earth. He's operating just as Adam would have and did before the fall. Well, what did Jesus do in the face of sickness and disease? What did Jesus do in the face of poverty or lack? Every time we see him exercising authority, the same authority that the Bible says belongs to us in his name now to walk in victory. Rightness is a complete work. It's a finished work. And the fact that the Bible tells us that we have been made the righteousness righteousness of God in Christ tells us and defines for us that rightness brought about by Jesus' sacrifice is total victory over everything that the devil has to do or has to offer or brings against us. Colossians chapter 2, let me point this out. Verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. He's got to be talking to Christians. He says they've received Jesus, so he's talking about Christians, talking about believers. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Then here's the warning. He says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. He's literally saying, watch out for people's philosophical arguments. Don't be taken in by those things. Don't be taken in by the vain deceit. And in this case, the vain deceit would be man thinking that he could do something to add to what Jesus did. See, a lot of people think that eternal life is something you get when you get to heaven. If that's true, then the blood of Jesus wasn't sufficient to to pay the price while he was here. His death, burial, and resurrection only did half a job. See, folks, if the changing of your physical body that occurs when Jesus returns for us, the Bible says that we'll be caught up into the air in a moment of time. And we will be changed. Our bodies will be changed. Our bodies will be redeemed. Our bodies will lose the the experience of sin that we've all experienced here on the earth. But if you think that it's getting rid of the body or the body changing into something pure that makes redemption complete, then you're going to miss out on everything God has for you here. The work of redemption is finished. That's why Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So he says, watch out. Now, the fact that Paul recognizes that this is something to to be aware of and to guard against implies that he understood that this is the way the devil works. Teachings, traditions of men, thinkings and reasonings of men is the way that the devil will try to rob you of who you are in Christ And the benefits that it is to provide for you here and now. You will not have one bit of eternal life more when you get to heaven than you have right now. That's not anything that changes. So he says, Beware lest any man spoil you, rob you literally through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For, because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, that means it's a completed work then. And you are complete in him. Now the word complete here literally means filled up to the full. Topped off. So that there's no room for anything else. And you are complete in him in the head of all, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. The new birth is a spiritual circumcision. Now remember circumcision in the Old Testament meant that you were part of God's family that's what the new testament or the new uh, birth experience means for us under the new covenant in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, spiritual circumcision rather in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of christ buried with him in baptism you took part in that with him too Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. That simply means that water baptism is a physical type of what happens spiritually. Our going down into the water is an illustration of Jesus going into the heart of the belly of the earth, the very pit of hell. Just as he was risen, we're raised up out of the water into a newness of life. It's a picture of what happened. With Jesus for you and me. Buried with him in baptism where and also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened or made alive together with him when Jesus was raised so were you and I. Hath he quickened together with him talking about us, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out, removing once and for all, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, the sin that demanded justice, in other words, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15 is what I want you to see. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. It means that Jesus did a work that completely obliterated the devil's ability to hold you and me in bondage, to hold anybody in bondage. Well, this certainly goes along with the things that the Bible says. First John chapter three and verse eight, the last part of the verse says, for this purpose, he was manifested. Jesus was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil, destroy the works of the devil. We see also that the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we're more than conquerors through all these things. John opened his letter, first letter that he wrote to the church, by saying, You have overcome them, the forces in the earth, the demonic and evil forces in the earth. For greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And Jesus' life certainly shows us that there was never a point in time where Satan gained any influence or any part of him. Influence over him or part of him whatsoever. Jesus exercised dominion over every part of the devil's work that he came in contact with. And it shows us that he knew how to do that. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted, in, each, in response to each of the temptations, Jesus said, it is written. In other words, he knew that the word of God was the way to resist the devil. He knew what he wants all of us to know and follow his example in he knew that the power of the word of God spoken by him even though he had flesh and bone body just like we do negated the devil's opportunity to gain influence negated the devil's opportunity to hold him back in any way whatsoever well I think we ought to learn from his example don't you that's exactly what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us after Jesus resisted the devil three times by quoting the word to him. If Jesus needed to quote the word, how much more should we have to or need to? But after, leaving, after um, resisting the devil by speaking the word, those three times that the Bible gives us an example of or gives us a record of, it said the devil left him for a season. James chapter 4 verse 8 tells us if we'll humble ourselves before God. And submit ourselves to him, that means submit ourselves to the word, not to what we think or what we feel or anything anybody told us, but what the word says, it says the devil will flee from you. Resist the devil by speaking the word, just like Jesus did, and the devil will flee from you. The word flee is interesting because it means to run from as in terror. The devil gave up on Jesus because he saw that Jesus would respond to every temptation With the word of God. So the devil left him. And the Bible tells us the devil will leave us in the same way. Again it says Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. Made an open show of them. In the spirit realm everybody saw for themselves. Who Jesus was. Who had the anointing of God. Who had the approval of God. And who was the victor. Now why does the Bible tell us these things? Well one reason. One main reason. Is because that's the way the Bible wants. That's the way God wants you. To think about the devil, too, to realize that he is the defeated foe. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse three, it says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not earthly." They don't originate here on the earth. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now notice when it talks about the defeat of the devil in your life, using the spiritual weapons that we've been given, it says those spiritual weapons will bring down Satan's strongholds. Now what are those? Notice he defines them for us. Here's the strongholds that God wants you and I to to use our spiritual weapons to defeat. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This word uh, imaginations is interesting because it means computations. In other words, it's talking about how the devil operates. It's referring to How the devil operates and gains a place or a foothold in our lives. And that is he brings thoughts and he calculates and wants you to accept his calculation. He calculates how that can be construed in some way to rob you of the blessings of God. Casting down imaginations. Here's how you pull down the strongholds. You do something about your thought life. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, think about what that means. Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When it's talking about exalting itself, high things exalting themselves against the knowledge of God, it simply means anything. Well, let me back up and say this a different way. It means the devil will try to use thoughts to give you the wrong idea, the wrong picture of who God is. And what God will do and what Jesus has done. One of those wrong thoughts is pretty prevalent in the body of Christ. Is the idea that Jesus died just for your sins. But the Bible says the knowledge of God brought brought to us and to our understanding by the scripture. Says that the same price, the shedding of his blood. The same price that paid the price or satisfied the debt of sin was paid to satisfy the debt of sickness and poverty too. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, that's prosperity. The price for us to walk in the blessing of Abraham and physical provisions and so forth was paid too. He was chastised for our peace and with his stripes we're healed. That's all in the same verse. Isaiah 53 verse 5. So what would it take? Or what would the cause be for the church? I'm talking about the church at large. What would be the cause for the church at large to think and believe and therefore declare that Jesus didn't pay the price for sickness and disease? Well, you know as well as I do some of the arguments that are made. Some of those arguments are that healing belonged to the church until the last apostle died, and after that we were on our own. Well, if that's true, then God's a respecter of persons, and we've got some pages to tear out of the Bible. That means God would have wanted more for the Christians that lived in Peter and Paul's day, more than He wants for you. Well, that would be respect of persons, and the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. What He wants for everyone, what He wants for one, He wants for all. What he's done for one, he's done for all. But there are computations made in schools of theology about why the Bible really doesn't mean what it says in some places. And those are the very things we're supposed to pull down. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds Casting down imaginations, computations, or reasonings, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What does God want to be first place in your life? The knowledge of him as revealed in the word. Anything that's more important than what the word says to you is a high thing that's exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Every circumstance that contradicts what the Bible says about you The Bible says we were healed by the stripes of Jesus, but any physical symptom or physical disease, sickness or disease that comes against you and begins to have an effect in your body has to be examined and weighed out with the word of God to to determine which is true. Very often people rely on the doctor's word as the final word on the subject. Well, thank God for doctors. They've kept a lot of Christians alive till they could find out what the Word says. But if the doctor's report or the doctor's diagnosis is the last word for you, then you've allowed something to be higher and of greater importance and priority in your life than the knowledge of God through the Word. Do you realize that every wrong thing, every evil thing, every sinful thing starts with a thought? If you go back and look at the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and examine what Judas did in betraying Jesus, it started with a thought. He thought certain things about Jesus, wrong things. And it led him into the place where the Bible specifically says that Satan entered into him. And he betrayed Jesus. started with a thought. started with a thought. Let's finish reading. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Where do we get the knowledge of God? Through the scripture. And bringing into captivity. You're supposed to do something that brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You're supposed to take every thought captive examine it against what the word says and refuse it if it's in contradiction to the word now notice the next verse I love the next verse we don't usually preach on this too much but notice it says after we cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God or against the word we could paraphrase and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, what does that mean? That means we're supposed to be angry and upset at the wrong thoughts we had about God that held us back. The word revenge is the word avenge or vindicate. The things of disobedience he's talking about, he hadn't changed subjects. He's still talking about wrong thoughts in our minds. I remember hearing a story about uh, that John Osteen told. This is Joel Osteen's father. A lot of people know Joel, but not too many remember John. But what a man of God he was. He was a little fire plug that wouldn't be stopped. He wasn't ashamed of anything. And he was holding a crusade in a certain city. And during that crusade, he was out to lunch with some uh, minister friend or somebody associated with the meeting or somebody that he knew. And he saw that there was a lady sitting in the, uh, the restaurant in a wheelchair. And he said that his heart just went out to her. So he we went over to where she was and sat down, started talking to her a little bit, told her who he was, told her what he was doing in town, and just began to share with her. God doesn't want you like this. God wants you well. God wants you healed. God wants you to be able to walk around and do whatever you need to do and serve him without being under the the bondage or the work of the devil in your life. Well, it turns out that this was a um, Christian lady. She was a Baptist. He found that out and he said, well, I'm a Baptist preacher too. I'm a Baptist ordained preacher. And then she said something like this. She said, you know, if God wants me in this chair... I'm willing to be there. If God wants me to suffer through this condition, I'm perfectly willing to sacrifice and suffer for it. Well, we can admire sincerity of heart. But if she's thinking wrong, then you tell me what's keeping her in the chair. It wasn't a wrong attitude that she had toward God. She loved God dearly. I think we'd all be served well with the same attitude that she had. Whatever God wants for me, I'm willing to do. But the problem was she was thinking wrong about why she was in the chair. And Brother Osteen said, he said, I could not, as much as I tried, he said, I could not overcome through anything that I said or anything that I tried to share with her or speaking the word or quoting scriptures or whatever. He said, I could not overcome the thought that she had that God wanted her in that chair. He said, so we went on to the meeting later that night. He said, in the meeting there was a little boy, not quite a teenager, I guess he was 10 or 12 years old, something like that. Little boy that had a club foot. His foot was all twisted and turned on the inside. Could barely use it. His body certainly wasn't functioning the way that God intended for it to. And he said, this little boy just heard the gospel for the first time. The good news, not just about Jesus. He knew Jesus went to the cross. He was saved. But he heard for the first time that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whenever Jesus came on somebody that was sick, he found a way to help them and heal them. And he said, just while the meeting was going on, this little boy just sat there. His father was a pastor. He said, this little boy sat there, and the the knowledge of God's will for him not to be sick, not to have this condition soaked on the inside of his heart, took root in his spirit. And just while the meeting was going on, that foot turned, came out, and became just like new. His father grabbed him when he saw what was going on, came and interrupted service, came running down and said, look, look, look. Of course, everybody rejoiced with him too. What was the difference in those two situations, those two people? One accepted what the word of God said about God's will for him to to be well. And Brother Osteen said, I didn't give him any different scripture than I gave the lady at lunch. I didn't say something new. I told her the same thing what made the difference in the two she wasn't willing to turn loose of her wrong thoughts about God she wasn't willing to accept what the word of God said about Jesus paying the price for her look with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, Paul is writing to the church, meaning he's writing to Christians. Beginning in verse 1, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He knows they're Christians. He knows they're believers. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, do something about your flesh. Do something about your flesh. Bring it under control. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The word prove means to determine by experience. He's literally saying here's the way that you can experience the will of God in your life by renewing your mind. So notice in verses 1 and 2, it tells us that after we're born again, after we're saved, we still have to do something with our body and we still have to do something with our thought life. Remember where we started over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation, a new species of being. He's the creation; He becomes the creation that God intended for man to be. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. Well, again, as we said before, the things becoming new have to be spiritual things. And the old things passing away is certainly not our thoughts and our attitudes. That's still left up up to us to do something about. And notice what it says it brings. It brings a transformation he identifies that it's not the way the world operates. And this is the point where a lot of Christians get talked out of the blessings of God because they're not willing to be ridiculed in some cases or thought less of in other cases by the way the world does things. And we can add by the, majority, by the way the majority of the church does things too. But it says if you want to experience the will of God, if you want to determine by experience, if you want to walk in the will of God for your life, all the things that the Bible says God wants for us and all the things we see Jesus providing for people while he was here on the earth. If we want to experience those things, we're going to have to do something about our minds. Folks, I want you to understand the Bible says, here's the second witness. We could give you many more. But here's the second witness. That the devil's battleground is in your mind. The place where you fight the enemy is in your mind. It's not through some outward show. It's not even through anointed prayer meetings. Thank God for those things. But the way that you overcome the devil in your own life, the way you walk in the rightness of healing and provision and freedom from sin... The way that you conquer the things in this world and what you are more than an overcomer over in this world is in the mind. Folks, if we don't win the battle of the mind, there's no way we can experience what God sent Jesus to the cross to provide and procure for us in its fullness. Yeah, you've got forgiveness of sins. We've all been forgiven of our sins when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. But if that was the high point for us, then God did us a disservice by leaving us here on the earth. If forgiveness of sins was the only thing that Jesus paid the price for, then why did he leave us here on the earth after we get saved? If that were the case, then the justice of God would necessitate that as soon as somebody gets born again, they go directly and immediately to heaven. But that's not the way it works. That's why we're still here. We're not here. We're not left here to displease God. We're left here to manifest the same life that Jesus lived on the earth before he went to the cross. We're left here to do an even greater work. The same works and greater works than these shall he do, Jesus said, because he believes in me. Because we believe that Jesus went to the father on our behalf. Because we believe that rightness has been restored. God has restored things back to the way they are supposed to be in the way that they were always meant to be. Now there's no way that can be anything other than total victory. There's no way that that can be anything other than a full work of redemption. there's not one thing that you and I struggle with that we don't already have victory over. Well, if we already have victory over if Jesus has already paid the price, what holds us back? The Bible says the way to defeat the devil in your own life is to pull down strongholds by taking hold of your thought life and refusing to think anything contrary to the word. Now imagine for a minute... What would this world look like if every Christian responded to the devil's temptation, whatever it is, but responded to the devil's temptation with the word of God? What opportunity would the devil have to influence mankind? And the answer is none. So from God's point of view, from God's frame of reference, everything that you'll ever need has been paid for. Healing from physical sickness has been paid for. Provision and even abundance has been paid for. Freedom from sin certainly has been paid for. We know that because we couldn't have gotten saved if God hadn't done something about the sin issue. So that much we know for certain. But it's just as certain, it's just as sure. That Jesus' blood paid the price for provision and abundance and healing for the physical body. Do you realize that you could defeat the devil in every aspect, in every regard? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we'd never have any problems. Jesus said in the world we'll have tribulation. And Jesus had to deal with a lot of persecution when he was here. So I'm not saying there never would be a problem. I'm not saying we never would be attacked. But there's never, there would never be one attack that the enemy brought that we didn't have victory over already. Think of it this way. If somebody calls out for healing according to the will of God, which healing is always God's will according to the word. If somebody called out for healing or somebody called out for financial provision for the blessings of God that belong to us that the Bible says are really ours and due unto us because we're children of Abraham. What would God have to do? What would Jesus have to do to answer those prayers? Does he have to go back to the cross or go back to Pilate's court and take another stripe on his back To affect somebody's healing? No. That's the reason he's sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Because the work is already done. The work is finished. The work is completely finished. It's more than adequate. To satisfy. Whatever needs you and I have. We have not only a complete redemption. We have an absolute redemption. It absolutely covers everything that we'll ever need. It absolutely covers every area and every aspect of victory over the devil. The Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith in what? Faith in what God's word says Jesus has already done. It's a complete redemption. It's an absolute redemption. And it all comes through renewing the mind learning to think God's thoughts. That's really what it means. That's really what renewing the mind means. It means think God's thoughts as revealed in his word. Spiritual growth is not that your spirit gets bigger. Spiritual growth is not that you become more righteous. You can't grow in righteousness. It's complete and absolute. Spiritual growth means that you learn more about God's word and replace wrong thoughts that were inspired and influenced by the devil, you replace those wrong thoughts with the right thoughts. And that will transform your life. Changing the way you think, according to Romans 12 too, changing the way you think will transform your life. Now that means that Christians who don't do anything about renewing the mind who don't do anything about growing in the knowledge of God, will experience heaven. But they'll never experience the fullness of God's will for them and their lives here on the earth. I think one great tragedy is all the people who through whatever reason refused or neglected to transform themselves or be transformed by the renewing of their minds who died thinking God wanted evil for them, who died thinking God wanted, them to, make, wanted to, them to be sick and to suffer sickness and disease, or Christians that kept their nose to the grindstone and could never get ahead, could never find some place of blessing in finances and material possessions and things like that. I think one of the saddest things is for somebody to, to leave this life thinking wrong or thinking evil about God thinking that God brought on him them what we know are defined as works of the devil in the scriptures what a sad thing to get to heaven and find out that you could have had the blessing of God here but it takes work it takes renewing your mind to the truth it means believing God in spite of circumstances and in spite of others claims and teachings and so forth Paul said it this way Writing to the Romans, he said, let God be true and every man a liar. There are men that will tell you things contrary to the word of God. Paul said the word's always true. I think we could paraphrase that, though, and and go a little bit broader. Let God be true and every circumstance be a lie. Now, circumstances, conditions... And things of that sort are fine unless they conflict with and contradict the word. But at the point where physical circumstances and physical conditions contradict and conflict with the word, you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to decide which one you think to be true. I'm amazed by the story of Jonah. I know I talk about this a lot, but it's amazing that Jonah in the belly of the fish said, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. And the lying vanities he's talking about is the fish that surrounds him. He's in the belly of the fish, but he's counting himself. He's seeing himself. He's accepting that he's out and free. And release from the bondage that he was in. What did God want more for Jonah in his condition than he wants for you and me? The Bible says he doesn't. The Bible says God has no respecter of persons. He wants you to be just as free as Jonah was claiming for himself. He wants you just as free as Jesus was walking in. The freedom that Jesus walked in when he was here on the earth. That's the kind of freedom that God wants for you and me. And that's why he gave Jesus as an example to show us. But it all starts with the thought life. If the devil can't influence your thoughts, then he can't influence your speech. And if he can't get you to speak words against yourself and against what the Word of God says, he has no place in you whatsoever. He doesn't live in you. He can only access you from the outside through the thought life. we have to win the battle of the mind. If we're going to walk in God's will for us here on the earth, we have to win the battle of the mind. And God's given us the means and the method for doing just that. Think God's thoughts. Think about God what the Bible says. Think about God what is revealed to us and what Jesus told us. And think about yourself what the Bible says. Think about what you have in Christ, according to what the Bible says. Win the battle of the mind and walk in the fullness of God's will. Win the battle of the mind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to live by your word. To see the word of God as an instruction manual for life, just as Jesus did when he quoted scriptures to the devil in the midst of temptation. Father, we commit to you that as we grow and gain more knowledge, more and more knowledge of who we are in Christ and what Jesus did for us, we thank you, Father, that our lives will be transformed too, that we'll begin to experience the will of God, your blessings in every area of life and not just a little bit of it we commit ourselves to put the word of God first place and to cast down imaginations, calculations, reasonings, traditions, and bring every thought captive to the truth of your word. Oh, thank you, Father, that the weapons that you've given us, the word of God in the name of Jesus, to renew our minds are sufficient to overcome every attack of the devil. Thank you, Father, that you're on our side. Thank you, Father, that you're always on our side. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us. Have a great rest of the week.